Let's turn with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You're a great and awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. We thank you for the word that it's been written down. We just pray that, again, you'd minister to every heart. We pray for those that are watching on live stream, those that will listen to this on the radio later or watch on Vimeo or YouTube, may you minister to them as well. And Lord, be glorified, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So whenever we go to a new book, we want to take a, little, a few minutes to kind of set up the, the text. You heard me say it, a text taken out of context. All you have left is a con, amen. So we want to understand what's happening when the book of Chronicles is written. So Chronicles, uh, First and Second Chronicles were originally written as one book. They were not divided into two books until about 200 BC when the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint was written. When people find out that we, like most Calvary chapels, uh, pastors, I teach expositionally through the Bible. We don't skip over anything. If you're new to the church, we started in Genesis on Thursday nights, and we've been going verse by verse. We started in Matthew on Sunday mornings, and we're in First Peter now. And so we don't skip over anything because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. But when people, other pastors, other people find out, they'll say, well, what do you do when you get to Leviticus? Or what do you do when you get to Numbers? Or what do you do when you have a genealogy? You know what we do? We teach it. Because it's in the Bible for a reason, amen? Chronicles has nine chapters of one genealogy to start the book. Nine chapters of a genealogy. And it's hard. It's a thing that a lot of people, when they're reading through the Bible, they'll just skip over it. And what, that we need to understand that it's in there for a reason. And I pray that you'll see that tonight. We need to do more than just read it, but study it, learn from it and obey the principles taught by it. Now, again, there's struggles that people have with First and Second Chronicles. Again, the nine chapters of genealogies, many, again, if most, just kind of skip over it. Both these books are pretty lengthy, and they seem to just repeat much of what we saw in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So it seems to be repetition, but we're going to find out it's not repetition. In some cases, there's added information. But these books were written to different people. So First and Second Kings were written, it's called pre-exilic, means pre before the exile, before they were taken away into 70 years in exile in Babylon. So those books were written talking about what happened before the exile and why they were in exile. So the people that were in exile would read it and find out what brought them there. Now, Chronicles is actually written after they've been delivered out of bondage. So they're no longer in Babylon they're moving back toward Israel, and they're being reminded by God why they went there and what the, what, and the history of who these people are. So can you imagine if you're, if you're Jewish, if you're one of the God's chosen people, but you were born in Babylon, and you were just surrounded by idolatry your entire life, and you had never been to Israel in your life, you had never seen the temple, you had never made a sacrifice, you had never truly had an opportunity to worship the true and living God. And so you've been surrounded by that. And then finally, by God's grace, you're delivered out of bondage in Babylon. And now you're coming back into Israel and God is going to educate them and remind them of who they are in him. He's going to remind them that they go, we're going to see that in the genealogy, it's going to start with Adam. It's going to start very broad, where at the very beginning, it's Adam and Eve. We're all related to Adam and Eve. Amen. 
We're all brothers and sisters. We're all related to Adam. But quickly, as he moves through the genealogy, it's going to become more and more narrow. Now, I tell people all the time, show me a chapter in the Old Testament and I'll show you Jesus. I promise you Jesus is in the chapters tonight. And let me tell you why he's in the chapters. Because as they narrow it down from Adam, they're going to narrow it down to the line of Jesus Christ. It's going to go from Adam, then it's going to go to Israel, and then it's of Israel, it's going to go to the tribe of Judah, because Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. And then it's going to go to King David, because through that line, our Savior is born. So even in a genealogy, written to a bunch of Jews in exile, we're going to see Jesus in the chapter tonight. And again, there seems to be repetition, but you know what's interesting? Well, we will see this in, t- in tonight's, some of tonight's text, and we'll see it in the coming weeks. We're gonna, he's going to talk mostly about, he's not going to hide their frailties, but he's mainly going to focus on their faithfulness because they're in bondage because of, if you were here for first and second Kings, what were most of the Kings? What were they? They were wicked and evil. Every king in Judah, all of them, from Ahab on, all evil and wicked, getting further and further away from God to where God finally brought righteous judgment and they were, gone, they were put into bondage. Judah had some faithful kings, the Josiahs and others who were faithful, but they too had many evil and wicked kings. And it was because of their idolatry, because they had turned their back on God, that God delivered them over into bondage. So now we're going to come to Chronicles, and what's amazing is you'll hear them, you'll hear them talk about King David, for example. In, this, in Chronicles, King David is talked about a lot. He's one of the focal points of this book, and nowhere in this book will you see Bathsheba or Uriah, her husband, who was murdered by David, even mentioned. You're only going to hear the faithfulness of David. Now, It's not because God is hiding the frailties of humanity, but it also is an encouragement to me that do you know when you've been forgiven by God that he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west? Do you know when you stand before God in heaven because we've already been judged righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? We are not going to be judged for our shortcomings. We're going to be rewarded for our faithfulness even though we don't deserve it. Amen? And so we're going to see in Chronicles, we're going to see some of that similar focus, focusing more on the faithfulness than on the frailties. So First and Second Kings, again, were written to the Jews as they entered into captivity. And now they're being educated as they're leaving exile, written again to those who were born and raised mainly in captivity. And sadly, First and Second Kings and First and Second uh, Samuel really speak of how they just were called by God and gifted by God and all that God had given them and how they had failed so miserably in remaining faithful to the calling place upon their life. Now, I want to say this too. These are, that are given this, as you read the genealogy tonight, just a name means a lot. And we're going to see him move through, just in the first three verses, 1,500 years. And so he's going to cover a lot of time, but he's mainly going to cover that time by just giving the names of the people that lived during that time. And there's a history that followed them. So they've been surrounded by pagan idolatry. They've been in captivity for 70 years. We do know that there were faithful, we'll see one of them tonight. There, there are faithful people in the midst of the bondage. Remember, who was, who was somebody very well known that was in bondage in Babylon and used mildly by God? Who was it? Daniel. Daniel was praying when they outlawed prayer. That's what got him thrown in the lion's den. But when he got taken captive as a teenage boy, 
In his early teens, he said, I am not going to eat this. He, he, would, he said, I, he made a devout, he was going to stand by the word of God. He said, the law of Moses forbids it, and he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So here he was, there was always a, a godly remnant, even in a godless and pagan and idolatry place like Babylon. And we saw that Daniel remained, kings came and went, and Daniel remained. So we're going to see that there always was that remnant, and no doubt the people that are now being you know, released and going going back to Israel, going back to Judah, going back to Jerusalem. As they're heading back, they have had some exposure to the truth, but now they're going to read, and this genealogy is going to bring, the, again, give them a great history. We're going to see in Babylon that, again, they grew up knowing best their most recent history, and the most recent history. So look, if you're in, if you're in captivity in Babylon, and you're talking to your parents and grandparents, they're going to remind you of Manasseh. You guys were here from Manasseh? That guy was as evil as they get. Manasseh was having the worship of, you know, they were using orgies as acts of worship. They were sacrificing their children on hot altars. They were, he was as vile and a wicked a man as whoever lived. And so these are the people you're hearing about from your parents and grandparents, because those are the most recent rulers. Well, as he does the genealogy, he's going to go way back and let them know of the faithful people, the faithful men, and the faithful women of God. He's going to educate them, again, what faithful men look like. People like Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Samuel, and David. People like Noah, as he, does, as he gives us a genealogy that begins at the very beginning. The two greatest gifts of the many great gifts that we've been given by the Jewish people, here's what they are. Number one, the Word of God. Amen? Most of you, if you're new to our church, before we came here, we lost the building basically because of COVID. We met in a synagogue. And the priest and I, the uh, rabbi and I became very good friends. And we would talk about the Lord all the time. And again, he needs Jesus. Pray for Rabbi Ron. Amen. He needs the Lord. I told him when we moved in, one, my number one focus is to get you saved, bro, because you need Jesus. Amen. But you know what? I thank God for the Jewish people because, you know what? We should, and whenever people tell me this, I hear this all the time. Well, I would come to your church, but I'm Jewish. I said, that's good, because I, I teach a Jewish book about a Jewish Savior. Amen? This is a Jewish book. So praise God for them. But also, through their lineage came the Savior. Amen? So they gave us the word of God, and through their line would come Jesus Christ. So God is reminding them of their long and tremendous spiritual history and the fact that they had most recently failed miserably that led to their captivity. God is not done with Israel and the Jewish people, not by a long shot. God is not done with Israel today. Thousands of years later, after this has been written, God's not done with Israel. I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Amen? Bible says God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And again, God is not done with them. For the most part, most of the Jewish people have scales over their eyes. But again, as a, that's as a nation, but as individuals, again, many, many of them are saved and we need to pray for them. But it was encouragement to, uh, to step up and return to the Lord, to be used mightily by him. And Chronicles, not again, no mention of Israel and their failure. The focus is on the facts uh, to the next generation, the profitable and want good things that had come through their ancestors. So these nine chapters of genealogy, Lord willing, we're going to do four, four of them tonight and five next week. We'll get through the genealogy in a couple of weeks. I was going to try to do all nine tonight. That would have been, I've been a pastor for 34 years. And I've never taught as many chapters as I'm going to teach tonight, let alone nine chapters. 
But when I got to 51 pages of notes, I knew it was time to stop. So these nine chapters are important to God and for those who receive the letter, the genealogies are the quickest way to communicate great amount of history. If you just say Adam, already there's a level of understanding of who he is and what he had done. And it comes with a history and a story uh, when we study scripture, those who study scripture know well. So it's gonna begin very broad and it's gonna narrow down as we go through the nine chapters of genealogies and it's gonna end with the lineage of Jesus Christ and the focal point of the book of Chronicles in a big way is King David because it's through his line that Jesus will come. So grab your outline if you had it, have it. And you really need a Bible tonight because we're going to cover some ground, okay? If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please take that as a gift from us to you. We want you to be able to read it at home as well. So we're going to look into four chapters, Lord willing, if we get through them all. And I tell the message, God is not done with Israel. Even after all their flesh-driven failures and open rebellion, God's not done with Israel and God's not done with you and God's not done with me. Amen? Even if we have failed miserably, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. You can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. So we're going to see the sovereign and gracious hand of God from the very beginning. God gives the people who have been delivered from bondage and are returning to the land of promise, a history lesson linking Adam to Abraham, God's chosen people, and the lineage of Jesus. Number two, there is hope for those who have rebelled. God's word links Abraham, a man of great faith, but also a man who had times of great faithlessness to the tribe of Judah from whom the Savior would come. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am glad that the Bible does not hide the frailties of its heroes because if everybody was Daniel, we would, might want to just give up. Now, praise God for Daniel in the Bible, one of the few people where there's no mention of him sinning. We know he's a sinner because we all are, but Daniel is an example for us to follow. But so are people like Abraham who did fail and people like King David. And praise God, there's hope for those of us who have rebelled. Number three, God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Another picture of God's grace is in Chronicles. Again, King David's faithfulness is remembered, but there's no mention of his failures. And again, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, there are going to be two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment that judges whether or not you're saved. Now, as born-again believers, we will not face that judgment because we have been saved. But there is the Bema Seat judgment, and that is the judgment where we will be judged on how faithful we've been with the gifts that God has given us. So God has given us gifts, which is amazing that he gives them to us. And then we use the gifts he gave us, and then he's going to reward us for using the gifts that he gave us. What a gracious God we serve. Amen? And so we'll see again tonight that he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And then finally, even in the midst of great sin and rebellion, there are always faithful men of God, men and women of God. How many of you guys have heard of the prayer of Jabez? Who's heard of that? It's in chapter four. We're going to see it tonight. So if we didn't have the Chronicles, we wouldn't have the prayer of Jabez. That's where it is. And we'll take a look at that tonight. I love it. it the prayer of Jabez, there's four things he asks for. He asks God to bless him as he faithfully serves. These are good, you know, again, we don't want to pray with vain repetition, but we can learn from, from prayer. We can learn from the prayers of others. We don't want to just repeat a bunch of words thinking that's going to make God uh, listen. But here's an example. So pray... He asked God to bless him as he faithfully serves him. And then he prays that God would uh, grow his ministry. So the ministry that he's being faithful in, he says, Lord, would you bless it? Would you allow it to grow? 
that you might be glorified, that more people might come to know you. He also asked that the hand of God would be upon him. And I love this because when you ask for that, you see it in scripture. When someone says, may the hand of God be upon me, what it's talking about is the power of God and the presence of God. How many of you need the power of God and the presence of God upon your life every single day? That's a prayer that we all should be praying. Amen? Lord, I need the power of God. I need the presence of God. Lord, help. I can't do this without you. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. And then finally, he prays and asks God to keep him from evil. So that's a great uh, pattern for prayer for all of us. So let's begin there. Again, we'll see if we can get through four chapters. I may not read every name, uh, but we'll take a look at it as we go through. So again, number one, God is not done with Israel, the sovereign and gracious hand of God from the very beginning. Then it says there in verse one, Adam, Seth, Enosh. Now, we know that Adam and Eve had a lot of children, because they were helping to populate the earth. And, they, and Adam lived to be over 800 years old. So you can have a lot of kids if you live to be 800. Amen? And he was called to be fruitful and multiply. But we only see the names of three sons. Cain, Abel, and Seth. Notice Cain and Abel are not mentioned. Seth is mentioned. So Adam and then Seth. Now why? Why Seth? Why not Cain? Why not Abel? Well, here's why. Because it's through the line of Seth that Israel is going to come, where Abraham is going to come, Israel is going to come, Jacob, and Jesus, David is going to come, and eventually Jesus is going to come. So from the very beginning of this book, when he just gets to the second name, it's already pointing to Jesus because it's through Seth that Jesus again would come. The opening verse of Chronicles indicates, again, their focus. And we know that Adam and Eve, again, had three sons, but the focus is on this son. In Chronicles, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a priestly perspective. We're going to see a religious history. We're going to see prominence of the temple. It's going to be spoken about a lot. We're going to see the record of Judah, the continuity of David's line, which means that through David, the Messiah is going to come. So there will always be someone in the lineage of David ruling and reigning in the kingdom because God promised that. And, all, and then Jesus is eventually going to come through that line. And then we're going to see God's faithfulness. Now, all of those things that are seen in this book are all things that point to Jesus. Because there's a priestly perspective. He's the great high priest. The temple is spoken of in, in great detail. Well, the sacrifices in the temple all point to Jesus. Every piece of furniture points to Jesus. Every sacrifice points to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a record of Judah and his line. Well, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's in the line of David, and he is the faithfulness of of God. So we can imagine the importance of these genealogical lists for these returning exiles. The message of continuity of God's work through the generations was important for them, you know, because they could have thought, look, we got cut off. Because of our rebellion, we lost Israel. We lost Judah. We lost Jerusalem. We've lost everything. There's no more temple worship. There's no more sacrifices being made. We're no longer celebrating Passover. It's all gone. It's all been wiped out. It's never coming back. We've all lost it. And what is he doing as they're coming out of exile? He's reminding them that nothing's been lost, that God is still on the throne that God is going to restore Israel. And we need to have that same thing for us. You may feel like you've blown it so much. 
You made some horrible choices in your life that you think you're so far away from God, you can never get it back. Again, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And he wants to redeem you and restore you to right fellowship with him. So Adam, Seth, Enosh, verses two and three, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech. Already, just through those two verses right there, we're about a thousand years into history. Methuselah, what's he known for? What's that? Being the oldest guy in the Bible. Here's a great trivia question for you. How can Methuselah be the oldest guy in the Bible and yet he died before his father? It's a great question, right? It's a fact. How's that possible? Who's his dad? Just look in your Bible. It's right in front of you. Who's his dad? Enoch. Why did he die before Enoch? Because Enoch didn't die. Amen? Enoch was snatched away. So great, great trivia question there. How can the oldest guy who ever lived die before his dad? Well, his dad never died. So they were living long lives until the flood. The reason people could live 900 years is before the flood, there was a water canopy that surrounded the earth. And the entire earth was very tropical and, and there was not the, you know, the aging process that took place in the radiation from the sun. And so people would live a long time. Well, that water canopy is going to break during the flood. Water is going to come from above and from below. The water from below is going to separate uh, the continents. The water from above, again, is going to flood the earth. And so that's when people's ages went from, the Bible talks about, living almost 1,000 years to living, it gets dates about 120 years. So people's ages dropped quickly because prior to the flood, God gave them time to populate the earth. So Methuselah, through them. Then it says in verse three, verse four, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we're all related to Adam and we're all related to Noah. Amen. Now I love Noah. I don't think Noah gets talked about enough. Whenever people think about Noah, they just think about him building a boat. But here's the reality. Noah was a man of great, great faith. Noah built a boat, but it took him 120 years to build it. Three times the size of a football field, big enough to house all the animals. And he's building the boat when it had never rained before. So he was doing nothing but catching static because he was telling people water is going to fall from the sky. It'd be like if we were telling people today that monkeys were going to fall from the sky. I mean, they've never seen it. They don't know it. They think he's crazy. And he continues to build a boat and he continues to tell people to repent and he continues to tell people that they want to be ready because the flood is coming. So Noah was a faithful man of God. Noah was, Noah was a man that we're all related to. He preached for 120 years and only eight people made it on the boat. And most people believe that in the time of Noah, there could have been billions of people on the planet. Because keep in mind, by then it's 1,500 years. And in 1,500 years, you can have a lot of people born. Population can absolutely grow very quickly, especially when people are living to 900. I don't think people had two kids. I think they had 30, right? There were a lot of children. So the population grew. Can you imagine having the truth, knowing that judgment is coming, preaching for 120 years, and the only people that make it on the boat are you and your wife, your three kids, your three sons, 
and their wives. That's it. Only their family was saved. Everybody else rejected God. And because of their perversion, because how far away they'd walk from the Lord, the Lord brought righteous judgment upon the earth. Now, we're all related to Noah. Again, it starts in a white, right? So everybody's related to Adam. Everyone's related to Noah. And now, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, this is where we're going to see the separation in who we're related to. But we're all related to one of them. And he's going to go into some detail, kind of who the descendants of each of them are. We know from some history where these places were located. So we have an idea where, again, each of the different nationalities have come from. Look at verse 5. The sons of Japheth, now Japheth, understand this, then when you look at Japheth, uh, it's believed that through Japheth is where most of Europe, most of the Europeans come from. Most Caucasians are descendants of Japheth. So it's where, that, it's where uh, the European nations have come from. And again, uh, we'll see. So it says here, Japheth, uh, where Gomer, now Gomer is, today would be uh, the Russian plains, Magog, which comes after that. Um, some people believe that is a direct translation to Moscow for Magog. Now uh, that's Russia. Madai is the Medes and the Persians. That's modern day Iran. Javon is the Greeks. Um, I'm not going to go into all of these, but uh, Tubal and Meshach is Turkey. Ashkenaz is near the Black Sea. Uh, Dephoth on that list is north of Israel. Targamush is Turkey. Elisha is Cyprus, island of Cyprus. Uh, Tarshisha is modern day Spain. Kittim also speaks of, of Cyprus. And Rodamim speaks of the island of Rhodes. So, so Japheth is mainly the Caucasians of Europe and Northern Asia. Now what's interesting, we're not going to see any of these people, or any of these lands or any of this stuff, Japheth included, talked about anymore in these two books. Done. Why? Because it's not through them that Judah comes. It's not through them that Israel comes. It's not through them through Adam. So Abraham and then Jacob and then Judah and then King David. So he brings up, this is history. There's those people. We're not talking about them anymore because they're not important to what we're talking about in Chronicles. We're going to get you back to the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're going to get you back to King David. We're going to get you back to God's calling and God's plan for the children of Israel, because this book is delivered to them who are coming out of bondage. And again, who've forgotten, don't really know their history completely, no doubt have some idea from their parents and grandparents and people like Daniel. But at the same time, they need to be reminded that God had a plan for them and God's not done yet. So he talks about Japheth there down to, uh, talks about the sons of Cush. And these are again, through all of these lines, we see again that there are more and more lands, but it goes into greater detail. Now, when you get down to verse eight, you're going to start looking at Ham. So Japheth is European and Northern Asia. Ham as we are going to see, as we're going through the text here, are peoples from Africa and the Far East. So if your background is from Africa or the Far East, you're related to Ham. Now, it says there in verse 8, the sons of, uh, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. 
So let's first look at them. Cush, apparently, this family divided into two branches early. Some founded Babylon. Uh, notably, there's a man by the name of Nimrod you may have heard of, and others founded Ethiopia and Egypt. So this family went two directions. They founded both uh, the African continent, and they were also the, the people whose the descendants came to uh, Babylon. Mizraim, there's another way the Bible refers to Egypt. So Mizraim speaks of Egypt. Put, put refers to Libya and the region of northern Africa, west of Egypt. And Canaan refers to the peoples who originally settled in the land we today think of as Israel on the surrounding regions. But they were not children of Israel. Remember, they were the pagans living in the land, and God delivered the children of Israel out of bondage, would bring them to the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. They were called to wipe them off the face of the earth. They failed miserably at doing that. So these are the descendants of Ham. From the, Ham, uh, from the Hamites came the Philistines, uh, who were the people from the sea, who settled in Palestine, coming from, uh, they were, again, originally from Egypt, and Asia Minor, and the, and the island of Crete. So we have the Hamites, again, Africa, and again, the Far East. You have the Japhethites, which are, uh, again, part of Northern Asia and Europe. Okay, so mostly the Caucasians. Now, finally, we come to the third line, and it begins there in verse 17. So it goes all the way down to verse 17. It's just giving us all the different people related first to Ham. Now, verse 17, it says, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Ophetsad, Lud, Aram, Uz, Hul, Gaither, Meshach. Now, Shem, the Shemites, again, uh, the son, from this line is where we're going to get Israel the Jewish people. Uh, some believe Shem is where we get, you know, part of where we get the term a Semite from the term Shem, Shemites. Um, from Shem came Elam. He was an ancestor of the Persian people, um, who was also the father of the Assyrians. Love was the father to the people in Lydia and Asia Minor. Aram was the father of the Armenians. So people that are Armenian, um, you are descendants of the same people that would later become Jews. And so now again, not everybody related to Shem is going to be Jewish or of Israel, but you're going to be, in a sense, cousins to them, right? So the Shemites came out and through, that, through one of those lines, we're going to get to him a little bit. His name's Abraham, right? So who's the father of Israel? It's Abraham. So it's through Abraham and then through his, his grandson Jacob, whose name was chained to Israel, that the Israelites came. But through that same line, which Israel would come through, through the line of Shem came many other nations. Um, they were also, Aram was also known as people from Syria, the Syrians. Uh, Arphasad was an ancestor to Abraham and the Hebrews. So the chronicler included nations that held Israel in exile, such as the Persians, as the chronicle recorded this sweeping panorama of all the nations as having part of God's plan. See, God's in control even of those who will hate him. God's in control even of those who are his enemies. God, no, God's not surprised by anything. Is our world kind of going through some stuff right now? What's the answer? Here's the good news. God's in control. God's in control. 
I said it on Sunday. I'm going to be saying it a lot. We need to quit worrying about the what ifs and just focus on what is. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? You know, certainly the Bible talks about God putting a hook in the jaw of Magog, which is Moscow, which is Russia, and drawing them down to attack eventually Israel. But you know what? As they're on their way, conquering nations or seeking to conquer nations, it could be that this is the precursor to what God wants to do. Here's the good news. Bring it. Amen? That just means we're that much closer to the rapture. God's in control. We don't have to be afraid. Amen? But as we read this history here, we see that God is in control of even those who are his enemies. Notice it says they're us. Who came from the land of us? Who knows? Abraham. Abraham came from the land of us. Uh, it was named uh, after his son, Aram. Um, and Job came from the land of us as well. Notice it even says down there, where is it? Which verse is it in? It mentions some by the name of Jobab. And yeah, there it is, verse 23, Jobab. Many people believe that's Job. So Job too was a descendant, again, of Shem. So Uz gave the name of the home of the patriarch Job, who may thus have been an early Edomite descendant of Esau. Something that Jobab, again, is another name for Job, but their names, again, only God knows for sure. Now, what's interesting, also in the lineage, we have the name Eber, and that's the root of the word Hebrew. And so it's through Eber that the Hebrew nation would come. And then there's also the name in there, Peleg. It's in verse 25. Peleg means divided. And again, for the days when the earth was divided, this seems to refer, refer to the dividing of the nations at the Tower of Babel back in Genesis 11. So the descendants of Jem, the line through which Israel and eventually Jesus would come. And guess what? Who are we going to focus on the rest of these two books? The Shemites. We're not going to talk about the, the Jophethites. We're not going to talk about the Hamites anymore because, again, it starts off widely focused. It's getting more and more narrow, and it's focusing on the ones it's writing to. These, again, these people of Israel, the Jewish nation, is being reminded of who they are, being educated about what, what God has in store for them. He's going to restore the children of Israel to the land that they became. Now, what's interesting, in Chronicles, they don't talk about Israel at all. They talk about Judah. They talk about Jerusalem. Again, Israel will come later, but that's the focus of this book. So the focus on the Shemites, less and less broad and more and more specific as we go. Now, Abraham himself, it says there in verse 27, and Abram, who was Abraham, the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. Now, Abraham, do you know that Abraham, before he met God, was a pagan man just like everybody else? And then he had a head-on collision with Almighty God. And God told him to step out in faith, to go not where he was going. And he became a man of faith, and he stepped out, and his name went from Abram to Abraham. He was a man of faith, but he also had his faithless moments. Amen? I mean, Abraham, to me, especially now in my life, Abraham taking his son Isaac up on the hill, and, be, and after not being able to have children, being told in your 90s you're going to have a child, and finally having a child, and then God tells you to take your son up on Mount Moriah and put him to death. And Abraham goes all the way up the hill, has the knife raised, is ready to take his own son's life. I can think of a few things in the world that take more faith than that. 
even though, especially since he knew through Isaac the promise was going to come, and he was told that his descendants would number as the stars in the sky, and yet he did it anyway. And if you look at that, you think, man, that guy's a man of faith. But then you see him telling his wife to pretend to be his sister. Twice. Because Sarah evidently was a hottie, because he was so worried that she was so pretty that they were going to kill him to take his wife. Now, this is not exactly a man-up move to say, pretend you're my sister so they'll leave me alone. And he did it twice. The Bible does not hide the frailties of its heroes. Amen? So here he is, this man who's willing to sacrifice his own son, but he's so afraid, he tells his wife to pretend to be, again, just his, you're just my sister. Don't, don't, let it, don't let it out. So the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. Now we know Abraham's going to have more children, but these are the two we're going to focus on. This was the son of the promise whose birth was announced in Genesis 17 and 18, whose life is recorded in Genesis 27, 21 to 27. That's Isaac. Remember again, God appears to Abraham and lets him know you're going to have a child. Remember, what did Sarah do in her 90s being told she's going to have a baby when she was not able to have one her whole life? What does she do? She laughs. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. She laughed, so they named their son Laughter because she laughed saying, there's no way we're having a son. But if you remember, before Isaac comes, here's faithful Abraham again. They're trying for years and they don't get pregnant. And they're starting to think, well, maybe it's not going to happen. So Sarah comes in and says, well, maybe you should just sleep with my young, pretty uh, Egyptian handmaiden over here, Hagar. And what does Abraham do? Okay. Oy vey, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> Abraham. I don't think my wife's going to be doing that anytime soon. Amen? Imagine your wife bringing in some, some 20-year-old, hey, just go sleep with her. Then we'll have kids to her. And Abraham says, okay. That reminds me, when you go to Israel, one of the things you do is they take you out and they literally have people that act like Abraham. And they take you out to the land of Abraham and, and you're out there and you're in a tent and you're having a feast together. And a guy comes in pretending to be Abraham and he asks if anybody has any questions. And people ask him questions and he answers as Abraham. And I just raised my hand and said, Hagar, what were you thinking, bro? <laughs> he said, oh, vey. you know what I mean? <laughs> so true. But here's, so what happens is they have a son. What's his name? Ishmael. Do you know that all the descendants of Ishmael, now they're going to be blessed by God early on. We'll see that. But who are the descendants of Ishmael today? Who are they? They're the Arabs. Do the Arabs and, and the children of Israel get along pretty well? They're arch enemies. Now, again, please, I don't want to generalize. There are Arab people who love Israel and Israel people who love Arab and they love the Lord and they're born again. I'm just talking about the people in general. Amen. Because, and so they're arch enemies. And why did, there would be, there would not be the battle in Israel today, in the Middle East today, if he had said, I'm not sleeping with the maidservant. But because he chose to disobey God, the consequences have remained for thousands of years. So the details in Genesis here, they're just connecting to Israel. It's the Jews, through the Jews comes David, and through David would come Jesus. Now notice it says here in verse uh, 29, it says, these are the genealogies, the firstborn of Ishmael, Ish, 
Ishmael was Nabajoth and Cater and Abiel and Mibsam and Misma and Duma and Masa and Hadad. And, and so each of these people that are of the family of Israel are again the, the, the ancestors of the Arab nations. Now, you know what that means? That means the Arabs and the Jews are cousins, right? They all go back to, they all go back to Abraham, right? They're all related to Abraham. Do you know that the Muslim uh, religion believes that Ishmael was the chosen son and not Isaac? Right? That's what they believe. And that's why they, they wrestle with uh, Christianity and they deny it because they say it's through Ishmael that the, the promise came. And so we see this battle, it's gone on forever, and it all started with simple behavior of a man of great faith. Now notice it says the descendants, the family of Keturah. Who knows who Keturah was? Who was Keturah? Who knows? Somebody should know. She's Abraham's wife after Sarah dies. Does it not blow your mind that he had a baby out, out almost 100, and then he had children, and then his wife died. He got married again and had more children. Wow. God didn't just heal him. So through, it says there through Keturah. Now sons were Keturah, Abraham, through, was born to Keturah. Abraham's concubine were Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua. And, the, and then it goes on to who the sons of his sons were. So what's amazing about this is, again, we see how God is populating the earth through Abraham, you know, bringing about the line of, of the children of Israel through Abraham. And they were separated from Isaac, and they went east and prospered. So the people that came from Keturah did not, were, did not become a part of the children of Israel. They went in another direction. Again, even though they had the same dad, they had different moms. Now, notice here in verse 34, the family of Isaac. So here's God's chosen son. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whenever you hear about God's chosen, you know, the children, God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what it says of Isaac. And Abraham begot Isaac. The sons of Isaac were Esau and Israel. Esau and Israel. We all know, we all should know that story. Esau's name actually, you know, they often will name you after a, a characteristic of what you look like when you're born. And Esau was covered in hair, so they named him Esau. His name really means Harry. So if you know someone named Harry, say, dude, your name's in the Bible. It's Esau, amen? Now, Esau and Israel, now, who's the firstborn? Esau. So who's supposed to have the blessing from his father? Who sells the blessing for a bowl of soup? Esau. He gives it up, and we're going to see that Esau... And Isaac, though they're going to have, or uh, Jacob, though they're going to be re reunited at some point, they become great enemies of one another. And the descendants of Esau become great enemies of the descendants of Jacob. Again, Israel, most of its uh, enemies are coming from its own family. Because, the, again, they're cousins with the, the Arabs that are descended, and now they're cousins with the Edomites right, who come from Esau, and they're great enemies of theirs that would go on for many, many generations. Esau was the son of the flesh. Uh, guess who else is descendants of, of Esau? The Amalekites. We know the Amalekites, bad news, right? You go through 1 Samuel, the Amalekites, pictures of the flesh. When the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, the Amalekites would sneak up behind them, 
and they would find the weak and the weary and they would kill them. And God said, I've seen what you have done and I'm going to judge you. And 300 years later, he's finally bringing the judgment. He tells King Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. And if you remember what happened, he brought back the king with him. Like the Amalekites are a type of the flesh and he brought back the king of the flesh and paraded him around town. And it's just a, a tragic thing. Eventually what happened was he didn't kill all the Amalekites and when King Saul dies, he dies by the hand of an Amalekite. Because if you don't put the flesh to death, your flesh will kill you. Amen? So the Amalekites, too, are descendants of Esau. Now the kings and chiefs of Edom. So the Edomites, again, descendants of Esau as well. Um, again, we have the family of Seir that connects down to Uz and Ar. And then it says the kings of Edom. Now there were kings who were reigned in the land of Edom before the king reigned over the children of Israel, Bala the son of Baor, and the name of the city was Benadab. And so he goes down through this list and said, when Jobab died, again, many people believe that's Job, Job Husham of the land of termites, termites reigned in his place. So it talks about who the kings are, and then Hadad and Bedad attacked Midian, the field of Moab, and reigned in its place. And then when Hadad died, so it's talking about all these kings. And what it's really doing, again, to the people who are returning, the people that are coming back out of bondage, they're seeing the history of what has taken place beforehand, what God's ultimate plan is. And as they continue on through Chronicles, we'll see this, Eventually, anybody who's been in uh, captivity is going to see their family. They're going to keep reading and see their family and see that they are personally connected. They're going to see great-great-grandparents listed as we continue to go through the, to, through the end of chapter 9 because it's going to get more and more recent to their time. We're going to see people listed that were there when they were taken into captivity. And so the whole point is to connect them back to God's plan. And you know what? We need to, need to be connected back to God's plan. Now, most of us are probably not Jewish, uh, just by num near, mere number, but you know what? God has a plan for your life, amen? And God has a calling upon your life. And you may have wandered away like the children of Israel because of their rebellion ended up in you know, Babylon. And we too can get caught up in the world, but it doesn't mean that God's done with us. It doesn't mean that God can't draw us back unto himself. So we read through these names, and again, they have significant. By the way, the only person that's not been mentioned in chapter 1 is God. God's not mentioned once. But God was there throughout the entire chapter. We see God almost everywhere. We see God, God was the one who called Adam, uh, who was hiding in his shame. Amen? When Adam sinned, he was walking in the cool of the day, had intimate fellowship with God, and once he sinned, who, what did he say to him? He said, Adam what? Where are you? Did God know where he was? Of course he did. God knows everything. But what was he doing? He's given Adam a, an opportunity to, to show himself. And then he, you know, he had covered himself in fig leaves, he and Eve. And then we see the, the first time you see the shedding of blood is for the covering of sin, right? He kills an animal and puts on animal skins, the shedding of blood for the covering of sin. He was, it was God blessing the birth of Seth and providing a son to replace both the one who had been murdered and the murderer. It was God who was walking with Enoch and then he assumed him into heaven. It was God who called Noah and shut the door of the ark. It was God speaking to the sons of Noah and making his covenant with them. We see God as the most high dividing the inheritance to the nations in Deuteronomy. We see God dividing the earth at the Tower of Babel in the days of Peleg. What did they do? See, God had told them to spread out among the earth and they wouldn't do it. So at the Tower of Babel, when they were building a tower to reach God, foolish, 
What did God do? He confused them, gave them all their own languages. That's where the origin of languages came from. And because they could not communicate anymore, they gravitated to the people that spoke the same language and they spread out amongst the earth. And that's where that came from. When people ask you where all the languages came from, you can tell them the Tower of Babel. We see God choosing a Babylonian from an idol-worshiping family named Abraham. Abraham was a Babylonian from an idol-worshiping family to become Again, the father of Israel. We see God stopping the sacrificial knife held over a surrendered Isaac by Abraham. We see God orchestrating the choice of Israel over his brother Esau, despite all the fleshly efforts of man to do otherwise. And we see God blessing Esau and his descendants as he promised he would do. So that's chapter number one, the sovereign and gracious hand of God from the very beginning. God has been in control. Number two, there is hope for those who have rebelled. Look at chapter two. These are the sons of, what does it say? Israel. Now Israel, was that always his name? What's the answer? What was it before it was Israel? Do you notice they don't mention Jacob in here yet? He's been mentioned twice, both times Israel, not Jacob. So Jacob, name means heel catcher, right? He snatched the heel, you know, heel of his brother when he came out. So you have Harry and the heel catcher, right? And so the two of them are brothers, and we see that, that he gets over on his brother. So here's what happens. Now he is Jacob. He is the, the one that is called by God. He is the one through whom the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now it's going to name the sons of Israel. These names should all sound familiar to you. Okay, here they are. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Now, those names are also be, could be referred to as what? The 12 tribes of Israel. Amen? So Jacob is Israel, and his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we do know that Reuben is the oldest, but Reuben, just like Esau, loses out on the blessing. Why? Because Reuben slept with one of his dad's concubines or wives, if you will. And because of that, he lost the blessing. And the blessing instead fell to Judah, okay? And also to Joseph. Joseph would later have two of his sons numbered amongst the 12 tribes. So now we're going to see from Judah to David. So again, we're getting it. We're getting it. Now it's just down to the 12 tribes. We're not talking about the Japhethites anymore. We're not talking even about the Shemites that aren't a part of Israel. And now we're already down to Israel in chapter two. We got eight more chapters of genealogy. Just making it closer and closer again to the line of our savior. So the narrowing down is going to continue. Again, two of the tribes from Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim are going to become part of the tribes of Israel. So notice it says here, the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan and Shelah. These three were born to him by the daughter of Shua, the Canaanites. Ur, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he killed him. We're reading through a genealogy. Oh, by the way, that guy, he was wicked. God killed him. People read verses like that and they get mad at God. Amen? Why did God kill him? Because he, he just told you, because he was evil. Now, does God desire that none should perish? No, not one. What's the answer? Does he desire that we all be forgiven? Amen? He does. 
But if we choose to reject God and we choose to walk in our own way, God is perfect and holy and righteous. He's loving, gracious, and merciful. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But he's also holy and righteous, so he cannot have sin in his presence. So if we are unrepentant, we cannot be in the presence of God. And if people are drawing people away from the truth, God doesn't like that. And he will bring righteous judgment. Notice he says there too, and Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah. Now, if you just read that and you're not paying attention, what happens with Judah and his daughter-in-law? Who remembers? They have, they have two sons. Why? Because his wife has died and he goes out to visit a prostitute and his daughter-in-law has been waiting for one of his other sons to take the place of her husband who died. And she wants to have children. So she tricks him into sleeping with her and she ends up having children. This is Judah. These are people that God is using. So that means that God can use people like us. Amen. Now, let me make it clear. That's not an excuse to do that kind of stuff. Well, God used them. I guess I can do it. No. Be holy for I am holy. Amen. Stay away from that. Be, be holy. So we're also going to see as you go read through here, I'm going to move forward for time's sake here, but we're going to talk about, uh, they're going to talk about David and some of the other people that come through the line and Caleb and, and her uh, and different people like that. But one of the people we're going to see here is a man by the name of Achan. Who remembers Achan? Achan was Achan, wasn't he? What did Achan do? Who remembers? He's, and, and what happened was he disobeyed God. He brought false idols and God brought righteous judgment upon him. So notice that the genealogy doesn't just pick the best people. It's given a complete genealogy of everybody that was in the lines of Judah, in the lines of Israel. And he's going to give all the names of there, all the people that were there. And some of them were faithful to God and others were not. We're going to see as we go through this that they're going to go really deep in the tribe of Judah. We're going to see all the other 12 tribes mentioned in the nine chapters, but they're all going to get like a paragraph. Judah is going to have Judah's, people who are born to Judah, people who are born to Judah's sons, people who are born to Judah's grandsons, all the way down to King David. Again, because that's the line through whom the Messiah would come. The focal point of this chapter is still Jesus. Because they keep moving, they keep discarding every line that doesn't lead to Jesus. And they're going to get us first to King David, and King David's going to be the focal point of Chronicles, but mainly, again, because it's through the line of David that the Messiah would come. Then you can see the family of Hezron. These are descendants of the tribe of Judah. This is a grandson of Judah. So we're going to talk about the great-grandsons that he had. Again, Jesse, uh, earlier we saw this. Let me go back a little bit there. It does talk back in verse 14. And 15, it says, Osram the sixth and David the seventh. David is the son of, of, uh, of um, Jesse. And uh, if you go up a little further, a little higher, it says Boaz begot Obed and Obab begot Jesse. So who, who did Boaz marry? Ruth. Ruth was sweet as honey butter. She was King David's great-grandmother, right? So 
We see that she's in the line of David. We see the connection to David. And then we see the family of Hezron. Again, he's a grandson of Judah. And Caleb, the son of Hezron, this traces a sideline to the tribe of Judah, a separate one that culminated with David that's going to list some of the Caleb and the Kenizzite and different people in Scripture. And again, all of this is to educate and prepare those who are headed back to the land of promise after being in bondage. Verses 25 to 41 speak of the family as Jaharmel, the great-grandson of Judah. See how far we're going in Judah's line? Now they're talking about all the kids of his great-grandkids. They're going to just keep focusing on Judah and driving Judah home because it's through the tribe of Judah that the Messiah would come. The family of Caleb, the great-grandson of Judah, and the daughter of Caleb was Aksa. Who remembers who Aksa was? Who did Aksa marry? This is bonus points. Who did Aksa marry? She married a man by the name of Othniel. Who knows who Othniel is? Othniel is the first judge over all of Israel when they enter into the land of promise. And he marries Caleb's daughter. Now, if you remember, Caleb's in his 80s. And the man comes and wants to marry his daughter. And he tells Othniel, you have to go bring what back so you can marry my daughter? Who remembers? Four skins of the Philistines. It's kind of hard to forget that. If you want to marry my daughter, you got to bring some foreskins back of the Goliaths, the Philistines. What kind of dowry is that, right? I'm, I'm glad that some things are not on video, amen? So he brings back the foreskins and, and Othniel becomes the first judge over all of Israel. And he was married to Aksa, who's mentioned here. So again, he was willing, she must have been again, uh, a very pretty woman because he was willing to do something that I don't think a whole lot of guys would want any part of. So these are, then it says at the end, these are the Kenites, originally a foreign people. So the end of chapter two, it's giving us all the different, again, people from Caleb's line, from uh, Judah's line, all the way down into further generations. Then we get to chapter three. We're now going to see the descendants and the family of King David. There is hope for those who rebelled. Again, all those people that are in that lineage, many of them had blown it in a big way and God restored them. Uh, again, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. God separates sin as far as the east is from the west. Chapter three says, now these were the sons of David who were born to him. The firstborn was Amnon by Ahanom, the Jezreelitess, the second was second Daniel by Abigail, the Carmelitess, the third Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talma, the king of Kesher, the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggad. Have you, you know what I'm noticing right off the bat? Dude had a lot of wives. Amen? He keeps having kids and they're all by different people. What is up with the Old Testament guys? Amen? This is why people think that bigamy is okay. No, it's not. By the way, whenever you see guys with multiple wives, it never works out good. It never works out good. It's a train wreck. The fifth Shephaniah by Amata, sixth Ethereum uh, by his wife Egla. 
The six were born to him in Hebron. Then he reigned seven years and six months in Jerusalem. He reigned 30, 33 years. Were born to him in Jerusalem, Shimei, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amalel. Now what's, not, what's interesting is they're naming Bathsheba and they're talking about him having children by her, but nobody says anything about the fact that he committed adultery and killed her husband. Because the focal point of this genealogy is to remind them, again, of God's plan and the people that God is using and how the, the people coming out of bondage in Babylon are related to them and God still has a future plan. That plan that was already put in place is still going to be in place for future generations. The line of David until the time of Judah's exile is in verse 10 to 16. Again, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, Abijah the son, Asa. Now you should remember, you should recognize these names. Why should you recognize these names? We just looked at them in Kings. Okay, this is coming to the end of it. Now look, look what it says. Rehoboam, remember him from Kings? Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh. Again, God, God forgave him. Am, Ammon, his son. Josiah, his son. The sons of Josiah were Johanan, the firstborn. Joachim, and the third, Zedekiah, and the fourth, Shalom. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconiah, his son. Zedekiah, his son. That's when it ended. That's when they were taken away into captivity. So the people reading this list are going to go, well, that's my great-grandfather. Or that's at least somebody I know who's related to our king. So they know... This is, these are the events that have taken place. And now this brings this genealogy all the way from Adam and Eve, all the way through Israel, Abraham, through Noah. And now it's come all the way to us. And now our past is our present. And we see how God had his hand on the children of Israel. And we are a part of what God had planned. So that's what this genealogy is doing, is it's bringing about Again, the understanding that God is not done with them. Let's finish up with chapter four. We only have a few minutes. So you have the sons of David, verses one to 16, and then more sons of David, verses 17 to 24. The list after the Babylonian captivity gives us a link eventually to the Messiah, and that's why it's in there. Now, this last chapter, chapter four, the tribes, again, compromising the latter kingdom of Judah, and we could go through this list again, the family of Judah. We're getting, again, do you see how much emphasis is on Judah? Because it's through Judah that the Messiah is going to come. But I just want to grab one name out of here. And you'll find it, uh, you'll see his name there in verse 9. Now it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother was call, called his name Jabez, saying, Behold, I bore him in pain. So remember I said that sometimes they would name people based on how they were born. If you remember when Rachel gave birth to her last child, she, want, she wanted to name him Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. And he was born just outside of Bethlehem. And instead, he said, I'm not going to name him that. I named him Benjamin, Ben-Hamin, son of my right hand. And it says of Jesus, he's acquainted with our sorrows and our grief, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And they were born right out of Beth he was born right outside of Bethlehem. So Jabez's mom names him pain, like the son who brought me pain. And so that's what he grew up with. Hey, pain, get in here. You're a pain, get in here. 
right? You're calling him by that name. And so that's Jabez, that's what Jabez is known by. Now notice what it says in verse 10. And Jabez, now watch, this is the prayer of Jabez. Here it is, you ready? It's one verse. If you have in your Bible, underline it. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would keep, your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Didn't want to cause pain because that's what he was known for. So God granted him that, that he, what he requested. Now, what's amazing is we got a genealogy and it's just name, 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 name. And all of a sudden when he gets to Jabez, he stops and he takes time to share what Jabez prayed for. To me, that's significant. In the middle of a genealogy, he stops. Holy Spirit stops him cold and then says, here's the prayer of Jabez. Now, I love this because again, there's books written like the prayer of Jabez. It's a, it was a best-selling book. And so what did he pray for? Well, first of all, again, we'll go through these quickly as we finish. It says there, he said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. He asked God to bless him. Having grown up in the midst of pagan idolatry, Jabez was a man of prayer. So even in the midst of all that was going on around him, he was a man of prayer. Guys, even if nobody else around you is praying, you pray. Even nobody else is, is, you know, makes God the priority and passion of their life, you make God the... So here you have people in the midst of a, a difficult time, much like Daniel, and he called on God directly and passionately. He just looked straight to God. Remember that even the children of Israel, they couldn't even come in. Remember the, there was a veil. And they could only, only the high priest on the Holy of, could go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And there was this separation, and yet here he is just crying out directly to God. And he says to God, would you bless me? Now, this isn't the bless me of the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, faith movement. Amen? Where you, you know, Lord, bless me with Cadillac, 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 Cadillac. I'm, I'm manifesting my words. Put it in my driveway. You have people that do this nonsense. It's nowhere in the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? What they're doing is they're trying to, he's not a holy Santa Claus in the sky and we don't tell him what to do. He tells us. Amen? But he's coming before God, and the way that it's written, he's literally saying, Lord, will you bless me? And what he's really talking about is spiritually. Lord, will you use me? Lord, will you bless me? And it's okay to ask God to bless you. Here's what happens. Because it's been so abused, we often go to the other extreme. Because some people say, well, Lord, bless me. You know, let me win the lottery, right? Well, Lord, I'm going to give a seed offering. Give, that's not biblical either, by the way. Seed's always the word of God in the Bible. Amen. But because of that abuse, we have people that never ask God to bless us. Well, that's, that's selfish. But I think if we say, hey, Lord, bless, you know, bless me, Lord. Use me. Bless me spiritually. Strip the gifts you've given me. He's addressing the Lord. He's crying out to God. And those are prayers that God hears. How significant is it to God? He stopped the genealogy dead cold to record it. So it means something. So not only does he say, ask God to bless him. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, he says. Again, looking for spiritual blessings. But then he says this. We're going to finish up here. But notice what he says. Enlarge my territory that your hand would be with me. Enlarge my territory. Here's what he's saying. Lord, use me in a greater way. Lord, I want to be faithful where I am, but Lord, use me in a greater way. You know, that's a prayer that we can pray. Amen? Lord, I want to be used in a greater way. I want you to use all of my life. I want you to take everything that's mine and use it for your kingdom and your glory. It's okay to pray. Lord, I want to be used in a greater way by you. That's what he's praying for. 
And God stopped. And he says, Lord, would you enlarge my territory? Then he says, that your hand would be upon me. Lord, as I do your will, I'm not asking for temporal stuff, but Lord, help me to expand the kingdom of God, to disciple others. And then he says, may the hand of God be with me. The hand of the Lord is a biblical term for God's power and God's presence in the love of his people. You know what? We need God's power and God's presence. Without him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. And we need his power and his presence. Guys, we, don't, we shouldn't have arm distance relationship with the Lord. It's not about a religion where we come and visit him on Sundays and Thursdays for an hour. It's where we have intimate fellowship, where we, we have, he's our father, he's our Abba. Abba means daddy. We can have intimate relationship with the king of kings. And guys, if you truly know the Lord, you can walk in his presence and you can know his power in your life. Amen? Not that you would be glorified, but that he would be glorified. The power of God, the word power, again, in the New Testament is dunamis. It says, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you shall receive power. And that's where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. It's explosive. Guys, with the power of God, Turk took a man like Peter, who was a scared to death of a girl when he was warming himself and saw Jesus being beaten. He scared to death and he cursed and said he didn't know God. Then the Holy Spirit power came upon him. He got up and preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved in one day. The difference is Peter without the power of the Holy Spirit and Peter with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jabez says, Lord, could you have your hand on me? Could, could you walk with me? Could I know your presence and know your power? You know, this is one of the reasons that God allows us to suffer. Because in our trials and our suffering, we walk in his presence more. Amen? Because we're desperate and we hang on to him with both hands. And we know his presence and his peace. And then finally, how does he finish that prayer? Keep, and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Lord, can you keep me from evil? The temptation that comes my way? Lord, can you make the way of escape? Can you give me the power to say no and to turn away from it? Lord, I need your help. I need your power and your presence and I need you to help me to stay away from that which is evil, that which is contrary to your word and your will and your passion for my life. And Lord, I can't do this without you. I need your help. So I think if we got up every morning and I wouldn't, don't pray with vain repetition, but I think if we simply prayed, Lord, bless my life today. Use me today for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, expand the ministry. Give me more opportunities to point people to you. And then, Lord, I need your power and your presence today, or I can't do this without you. Could you pour out your power upon me? Could you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Lord, can you walk with me? I thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. May I know your presence. And then finally, to end with, and Lord, can you keep me from evil? Can you help me to live a holy and a set-apart life? Because, Lord, I can't do this without you. That's a great prayer. Can I get an amen to that? And it's right in the middle of a genealogy. That's why you read the whole Bible because you never know what's in there. Amen? People skip over the genealogy. They'll never see that verse. They'll just miss it. He finishes up talking about more descendants of Judah. And then he talks about the descendants of Simeon. And when we come back next week, we're going to see that he's going to go through the descendants of all the tribes, of all the 12 tribes. He's going to go through them, and then he's going to go through the descendants of David. He's going to go through the descendants of Abraham again. He's going to get more specific in the line of Jesus. But right here, again, we'll see where the focus is. It started off broad with Adam and Eve. We're all related.
Then it was Noah, we're all related. Then it was Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And a third, we're related to the lion through the Shemites. And then it got down to Abraham. And then it got down to Judah. And now it's going to get, it's got down to King David. And boy, that line's got more and more narrow. And they were recognizing that we're God's called people. And he still has a plan for us in Israel. A final point, even in the midst of great sin and rebellion, there are always faithful men and women of God. Even in the midst of what's going on in our land, there are always faithful men and women of God. And may we be those people. So in closing, God is not done with Israel. Even after, again, driven, even after all their flesh-driven failures and open rebellion, you would think God would be done with Israel by now. If you went through First and Second Kings with us, you would think, I'm done with them. They're out. I let them try to get them to repent for 400 years, and they just didn't do it. He's a God of grace. The sovereign and gracious hand of God from the very beginning, we see that it's always, it's always been his plan. He's faithful. There's hope for those who have rebelled. No matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, it's because you move, not God. Amen? You can get close to him yet again. You're as close to God as you want to be. God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. King David's listed in here several times, never mentions his adultery or murder because God's forgiven him. And even in the midst of great sin and rebellion, there are always faithful men and women of God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. I know it's kind of tedious going through genealogies, but I thank you, Lord, that it's in your word. It's in there for a reason. And Lord, I just thank you that you're a sovereign God. You're in control that no one will thwart your plan, that your will will be done. Help us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. Help us, Lord, like the prayer of Jabez. Lord, bless us. Lord, expand the ministries you've called us to. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Be glorified. And Lord, give us the power that we need in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, keep us from evil. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...